Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Happy Thanksgiving week. There's always so much to do this week as we decorate, clean, shop, and cook for family and friends. Sometimes, however, the busyness distracts us from the heart of Thanksgiving. Historically, Thanksgiving was a celebration of appreciation to God for all that he did to provide food and health and protection for our early settlers. Quite frankly, our times are different these days, but our needs are pretty much the same. And our gratefulness to God is an attitude of our hearts that we should always have, no matter what the circumstances. That's why the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. I'm Debbie Blank, praying that you remember, honor, and appreciate who God is and all that he's done for you during this season and always. We want to help you focus on God by walking through Psalm 95, a psalm of praise. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. We like to think of Thanksgiving as a warm family time with charity, goodwill, good food, and good friends. And we express our thankfulness to God for all of these things. But as we live through increasingly difficult times for many people here and around the world, we're even more aware of our dependence on God for his provision and protection. We are more aware of our need to stay connected to him and to keep him as the focus in our lives. We remember the extreme hardships the first American settlers endured and how they gave glory to God for his faithful presence in bringing them through all of it. They clung to the same Bible we have today and remained close to him through their praise and worship. As we read from Psalm 95 today, we share it to help us remember to praise him and to keep our focus on him. As we've just said, as we look at the early settlers, they came to this country destitute, Or at least they ended up landing here pretty much destitute. By the time they arrived, most of them had died during the journey or thereafter from illness. Survivors had little food or shelter and were concerned for their safety. Yet they trusted God and were grateful for his direction and his provision. He was great to provide for them, though it was minimalistic compared to what we're used to. But any provision when you have none is appreciated. How much do we appreciate God? How much do we thank him for? Sometimes in Thanksgiving, we go around our tables and we say, what are we thankful for this year? But do we really take time to think about and thank God every day? I try and get up every single morning and thank God for something, good or bad, because we're to give thanks in everything, because that's the attitude he always wants us to have but especially focuses us this holiday season. So we thought Psalm 95 would be a good psalm to read and walk through to understand who God is and how he wants us to trust and honor him. It's a psalm of praise. It's a psalm that teaches us about God and how to worship him. And it's also a psalm of warning to not take him for granted, which we often do as times are good. But when things get bad, we do see our need for him more and more. So let's begin with Psalm 95, verse 1, that says, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Now that word come is a command. We see it three times in these 11 verses where God wants us to come to him. 
He tells us in the New Testament, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of God, and he will exalt you. That's from James chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. God wants us to come to him. He tells us, ask, seek, and knock in Matthew We're supposed to ask for what we need and seek him in everything and knock at his door at all times. And when we ask, seek and knock, he will answer. So God wants us to come to him. And who does he say to come? He says, oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Us, who's us? It's everybody, all people. He's writing this to the Jewish believers in the Old Testament, but it's pertinent to us today. He wants us to worship him, to come to him, to walk consistently in the following things that he tells us to do in this psalm, which is what come means. Come means not just come into the presence of God, but consistently walk with him. And then the first thing we're supposed to do is sing for joy to the Lord. Now, I don't have a good voice, so I don't do a lot of singing, but we can do that with our heart. It doesn't have to be with our voice. The word joy is used three times in the first two verses, because when we come to God, how could we come with anything but an attitude of joy? Joy, as we say, it is Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. The word joy is simcha in the Hebrew, which means happiness, gladness, gaiety, That makes me think of almost a party where you're dancing, exhilaration. And then to sing or shout means a public or outgoing act. That's what God wants us to do is consistently in our outward actions, as well as our private time, to be exhilarated at who God is and the amazing relationship that we have with him. And who wouldn't want to come to that party? It's a command when he says come, but it's also an invitation, and it's an invitation into a joyful experience. And when you said you don't sing all that well, it made me think of the scripture that says make a joyful noise. So we might be able to get away with that instead of singing beautifully. We could just maybe make a joyful noise. But it reminds me of King David and how he worshiped, how joyfully and and exuberantly he worshiped. And so we're invited to do that. It's not just the frozen chosen where you sit in your pew and you fold your hands or whatever and, and be very reverent, which there is reason to do that and a time to do that as well. But we're invited into the joy and celebration of worshiping the Lord. And when it says the Lord here, the word for Lord is Yahweh or Jehovah. That's the name that God gave to Moses when Moses said, who shall I tell the Israelites sent me? And he said, tell them that I am has sent you. And that's the name Jehovah or Yahweh from Exodus three fourteen. I love it because I am means God's always present, past present and future. He's eternal. We can always come before him. His line is never busy. His door is never shut. He's a hundred percent available to us. So we're to sing for joy to the Lord. That's not all it says in verse one. It says, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. So the idea of shouting joyfully again is that public outburst. And we're to do it again, joyfully, with that exuberation, that amazing gaiety to the rock of our salvation. That's another name for God right here. 
What do we think of with a rock? It's solid. It doesn't move. And then, of course, the rock of our salvation. Salvation in the Hebrew is Yesha, which is very similar to Yeshua, which is the name for Jesus in the Old Testament. Salvation means liberty or safety. It's a cord of hope woven throughout the Bible from the very moment of sin all the way through until Jesus returns at the end of the book of Revelation. God is the rock of our salvation, our hope in the future about spending eternity with him and being able to because he saved us from our sins, but also being able to walk with him here on earth. That's why we have joy because he's with us all the time. Once we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, according to Ephesians 1.14, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That means God dwells within us. We are his temple, and that Holy Spirit is him living inside of us to give us that joy and that hope and the fruit of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's just a minimalistic amount of things that God wants to give to us because he wants us to be filled with his presence in everything we do. Because of that, we should automatically be walking with joy. When you speak of joy, and this is speaking of joy and how important it is in this passage, and also the rock of our salvation, it makes me think of the joy of our salvation. And why wouldn't we have that joy? We have been redeemed. So there's probably nothing better for us to celebrate than that joy of our salvation. Absolutely. So in verse 2, it says again, let us come. Now this time, the let us come isn't quite the same. It's more of a request. It's an asking us to walk with him. So what God is saying in verse 1 is he commands us to walk with him because he knows that that's what we need. In verse 2, he's asking us to come because he has a relationship with us and he's just directing us or giving us a request to come before his presence with thanksgiving, it says. And then it says, let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. So again, he says, let us come before his presence. Now, how awesome is that? The Jews in the Old Testament couldn't do that. Moses did, Aaron did, but most of the people could not come into the presence of God. We in the new covenant are told in Hebrews 4.16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's the throne of God. We're encouraged to draw near to the throne of God. We can do it. Even though the Bible says that no one has ever seen God face to face in our spirit, we can draw near to his throne and we will see him face to face. According to Revelation 21 and 22, when that time comes and we're ushered into eternal heaven. So when the scripture refers to us in both of those passages that we're reading so far, it means all of us. It's not just a representative of us, as you said Moses was or Aaron was. It's all of us. It's the entire body of believers. We're all included. That's right. And then we're not just to come before his presence, but it says here, with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, the Hebrew word is toda. It means an adoration, an offering, coming before him to focus on him, give him thanks. I almost think of the idea of that whole major turkey dinner that we put together and how we spread it out for our family. 
Well, that's Thanksgiving before the Lord. It's like making this great spiritual feast for God and then putting it before the throne of grace. That's coming to his presence with thanksgiving, that adoration. And let us shout joyfully, it says again, the word joy, shout joyfully to him with psalms. Psalms, we know there's 150 of them in the Bible. Psalms were things that were sung as well as recited. They were music. Actually, you might say they were praise and worship music to the Jews throughout the whole Old Testament. As a matter of fact, every time they went up to Jerusalem, they sang the Ascent Psalms. The Ascent Psalms are Psalm 120 to 134. That focused them on worshiping God, giving him thanksgiving, shouting joyfully towards him, giving him praise as they were coming up into his presence in the holy temple in Jerusalem. And the next verse tells us about why. Why do we do these things? It's because of the character of God. It's because of who God is that we can praise him and we can join together in this worship. That's what our lives are all about, or they're supposed to be, is giving God praise and worship. I think back on my life of all the things that I've done, and I think a lot of it was really wasted because I focused on me or things of the world rather than realizing the great joy before the Lord. As I've grown in my relationship with him, I see that there's so much more joy in being with him than there is of doing the things of the world that are temporal. Now, it doesn't mean there's, you know, playing golf or tennis or pickleball or any of those things are good and they're healthy for us. That's not bad. But the joy of the Lord is so much greater. And that's what he wants us to focus on. So he tells us again in Psalm 95, verse 3, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Do you believe that? Many people think that we all worship the same God. But this right here tells us that our God is above all gods. There's no one that's equal to him. When it says the Lord, that's the term Jehovah again. I am the eternal God. No other religion's God is eternal. Just our Jehovah God. And not only is he eternal, it says he's a great God. The term for God in that passage is El. El means strength. Whenever you see El like in Daniel, that means God is my judge because it has the word E-L. It means God, the strength of God. Who else has the strength to raise Christ from the dead? Who has the strength and the power to create the universe? No one but our God. And not only is he the I am, not only is he El, which is strength, but he's a great king. The word there is Melak. It means royalty, means there's nobody else above him. Our king is above all other gods. There is no one like him. There's no one equal to him. And there's no one better than him. He is the only true God. He has the power and the position to where he is the all-powerful and he is the all-sovereign God. So we worship him for that. We do, and it tells us in verse 4, in whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So those two verses tell us that God is our creator. God's name for creator is Elohim. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. 
He is our creator. We don't have a cosmic blast that created this world. For us to believe that takes a lot more faith than it does to believe that we have a sovereign God. The idea that a supernatural event took place, all of a sudden there was this explosion and the world was created, and then you have man and woman, and man and woman are created in such a way that when they come together, they create another human being. Is that an accident? No, our creator God is the one who created the depths of the sea and the peaks of the mountains and formed the dry land and the seas and everything and everyone in them. We cannot forget that. If we lose sight of that foundational principle at the very foundation of the word of God in Genesis 1 and 2, then we don't really understand who God is. He's a person, and this is such a personal creation when it refers to his hands formed the dry land. So we go from the peaks of the mountains to the depths, from the sea to the dry land. He has formed all of these things with his hands. So it's not an impersonal force that just zaps something into existence, but it implies a personal interest in all of his creation. And this reminds us, too, that if we're really going to come before his presence with thanksgiving and with joy, we really have to know who he is. Because if we don't know who he is, we have no desire to worship him or honor him or thank him for what's gone on because we don't know who he is. Reading scripture and learning scripture for the last several decades has been such a privilege for many reasons, but mostly because I've come to know who God really is through his character, through his actions, through his names, through everything that he has done. I've come to know him, and I don't ever want to forget that. I'm reminded in the book of Judges, in chapter 2, it said that the people followed God during the times of Joshua and during the times of the elders after him. But then came the third generation, and they didn't know the things that God had done for them. So then that generation walked away from God because they didn't really know their God. Above all other things, we must know who our God is, because then we will want to worship him and give him praise and thanksgiving. And as we go into the next verse, verse 6, we move into a different form of worship, equally important. We've talked about joy and exuberance, which is very important to God, but now we're talking more reverential worship. He again says, come. This time, it's a command again. The command is, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord Jehovah, our maker. Our form of worship, which is called sharkah in the Hebrew, is to prostrate, to pay homage, as if we would in the olden days before a king. Now, that's getting a little harder as I get older. I don't get on my knees as often as I should or fall flat on my face, but I do spiritually. I do know and recognize the power of God and who he is. And so my heart is bowing down to him and paying homage to him and recognizing him. And that's the key there is recognizing him for who he is so that we do want to pay homage to him and worship him. Because verse seven says, for he is our God and we are the people. And really some versions say the sheep of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We are God's people. Wow, that's a, quite a blessing there. In the New Testament, we're told we're his children, we're his heirs to his kingdom. That's very humbling. In the Old Testament here, as we talk about being his sheep, his people, that means he's the one who guides us. 
I'm sure you know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's the one who leads us and guides us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he's our shepherd of his pasture, not ours, but his. He leads us in his direction. And we follow him because in the New Testament, it says the sheep hear my voice. And we do hear Christ's voice and we follow him. He's the most high God. And that name sovereign is the name El Elyon. He's God Almighty, El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. Why would we go to anyone else when we have our God laid out for us in Scripture? And we know we can not only go to him, but he wants us to come to him. What an honor and a blessing that is. And we can love him and worship him because we know how tenderly we are loved and cared for by him. But he also warns us, as you said earlier. He says at the end of Psalm 95, 7, Today, if you hear my voice. Now, the if is conditional. We have a responsibility to hear God's voice and act on it. We can hear his voice, but not act on it. And that's not going to get us anywhere either. But if we hear his voice, he says, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. There we have another command. Don't harden our hearts. The Israelites came before God when they came out of Egypt. God parted the Red Sea for them. They saw God as to who he was and what he did for them. But then they grumbled. They got to Meribah and they didn't have any water. So we're told in Exodus 17, I'm just going to read parts of it. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And God did that. But the people grumbled at God. That's why God says, don't harden your hearts as they did when they grumbled at God and didn't trust God to provide for their needs. He says in verse nine, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. There's consequences in life when we know who God is and we don't follow him, or we know who God is and we don't give thanksgiving or joy or we don't trust him, we are going to experience those consequences, just like he mentions here. He goes on to say in verse 10, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said that they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. And he's talking then about the time when the Jews wandered in the wilderness because they didn't believe God and trust him to go into the promised land. And he finally ends in verse 11. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter my rest. So he warns them in verses 7 and 8, hear his voice and don't harden your hearts. Then he gave them examples of how the Israelites hardened their hearts against God so that we will not turn away from him, so that we, in fact, will enter his rest instead of being told here that we will not enter his rest. In looking at the book of Hebrews, it tells us in chapter 3, verse 18, to whom did God swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? As a loving father, God wants us to enter his rest. And so he's giving us an example to show us how important it is. He has something special for us that he wants us to have. And so Hebrews 4, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, 
as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And that's a quote directly from Psalm 95. God swore in his wrath that they will not enter my rest. When we turn away from God, when we don't recognize him for who he is, don't worship him, have a joyful thanksgiving attitude towards him. But the main thing is, and you just read it, it's those who don't have faith who cannot enter God's rest. Because it's only with faith in knowing who our God is, in surrendering our lives to him, that we can truly follow him and have rest in him. And when I think of rest, I think of peace. In Philippians 4, 7, we're told that we can have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, which will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Well, that peace is God's rest. And who wouldn't want that? We can only have that when we turn to him in faith. When we've had the good news preached to us, and then it says it's united in faith here in Hebrews 4 to those who heard. When we will do that, then we will have a true righteous attitude towards God. The people in the Old Testament, the two spies who believed in God, they had faith and they were able to enter into the rest of the promised land. The other 10 spies who didn't believe, who were afraid by the worldly circumstances, they weren't able to enter into the rest. They're the ones who erred in their hearts, according to Psalm 95, 10. You can read that passage, by the way, about the spies and the situation, the consequences in Numbers chapter 14. And ask yourself as you read that, would I have had the strength and the faith of Joshua and Caleb? Or would I have been like the other 10 spies and looked at the circumstances of life and let them drag me down and bring fear into my life rather than trusting God? We have to remember that fear and faith are opposite. If we have true faith in Jesus Christ, we should not fear. God tells us, do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. But that only comes from God. If we have faith in God, he will walk us through any circumstance we have. You see, we've been talking about this great attitude that we should have towards God. And then you might be thinking, well, you don't know what I'm going through in life today. No, I don't. But I can tell you that Jackie and I have gone through some pretty tough experiences in life. And we found perfect peace with our Lord. We found his provision. We've been able to joyfully worship him and thank him for all that he's allowed us to go through. And you will too, if you put your eyes on Jesus. I want to enter God's rest, so I want to be obedient to him. I want to follow him in joy, shout with joyful singing. I want to give him thanksgiving and everything. I want to recognize him for who he is. Do you? Is that important to you? I hope during this Thanksgiving season, you will start a new plan to focus on God each and every day, to worship him and honor him and, and learn who he is. There's lots of books out there about the names of God, where you can read some of these Hebrew and Greek names, find out the character of our God. And then as Colossians 4, 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving before our God. And we're reminded also in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always and not be anxious for anything but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. 
What's your attitude today? Will you turn to him? I pray that you will, so that this Thanksgiving you will meditate on this Psalm 95 and other Psalms in Scripture. As they're full of joy and thanksgiving for who God is and what he's done, even under the most difficult circumstances you may experience, you can find peace and comfort with our Almighty God. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.